You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine, the purest form of nicotine there is. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1. O-U-T-D-O-O-R and the number one. Lastly, many outdoorsmen are trying to quit tobacco altogether and fully loaded chew may be that first step. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. All right, guys, welcome back. Land and Legs Podcast. Um, Going to be a fun one tonight. Kind of a, a new, uh, not new, I guess. We've done this before, but we haven't done it in a while, so it feels new because um, we're going to go through uh, or run through a whole list of questions that you guys uh, sent in. And uh, before we do that, I guess I haven't even let him have a chance to talk. Um, I'm but here. Matt's there somewhere. Um, I'm here. If you knew what happened pre-show, I'm not having a lot of faith in him being involved in this throughout the whole deal because he's been cutting in and out the whole time, it seemed like. So we think he's in a new location in his yard, standing on one foot, with the tinfoil helmet on, and he's got great reception. It's a it's a thing of beauty. But <laughs> well, making it work. <laughs> uh, no, we're we're having a good time. I'm excited to be able to, to do this, let's say style podcast again. You know, I don't know. Every week we're trying, we try and honestly just help people. Before we recorded, we got a really good text, both of us, from a, a good friend of ours, just saying how much they appreciated a recent podcast that quite frankly, I personally was like, ah, like we're we doing as much as we can, like content wise. And you love that podcast, but I don't know. It's just something about, well, it, I don't know. It just didn't click with me. And then even when I brought it up that, to you, you kind of like drug a little bit, like you weren't excited about it. I'm like, I don't know yeah. how you can't be excited about this. Like we, ha- <laughs> this know. is going to be awesome. Yeah. And, and, and it was cause we, he's not the only one who's reached out about that. It's just like, I, I, I try and just you know new stuff whatever but but at the end of the day each podcast try and, and and do it in a manner that someone can take something away from it and it be helpful it's not just like hey let's just talk about stuff that we like to talk about but like 
let's make sure we give information to people that matters, that means that they can take a nugget away from it yeah. and make an impact. That's what we want to see an impact being made. And we got to share the education. So this yeah. one is really just taking one out of y'all's playbook. And I say y'all, the people who listen and follow along because these are your questions. Yes. This is, uh, you know, like I said, this podcast and our whole business is about helping people get more out of their farm. And, um, you know, we, it wouldn't, we wouldn't reach full potential if we weren't engaging and getting feedback and using that feedback for content each and every week, which I feel like we do a pretty good job at and taking conversations or taking social media, um, questions, taking uh, forum answers or questions and then turning that into podcast because that's the hot yeah. topics. And, you know, we kind of have to, we dance around and avoid really popular topics at, at times, but then other times, like we're going to dive head first and, and get you guys uh, our opinion or what we believe to be truth and uh, get that to you guys. And so um, this is a big one because, and I should say before we start really rolling into it, but, um, one of the big things for us is, you know, guys, we've been doing this, I don't even know, over 300 podcasts now. Um, <clears throat> and I feel like, like Matt last week, felt like we'd already covered the 30 years to nowhere topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have well, in was, some a... degree, but not devoted an entire podcast to that. Um, and so, you know, sometimes it may feel like we're getting repetitive in the stance of, yeah, we talked about edge feathering before we talked about betting tickets before we've talked about this and that before, but each and every week that we do it, there's probably a different approach or a different, uh, analogy or a different, um, example that we recently saw that is a good point to bring up to hopefully help you guys. And so, you know, that's the thing. There's nothing um, flashy about the message that we're that we're using here. There's nothing that we've trademarked as our own, or or uh, feel like that we've kind of uncorked the secret to land management. Um, ultimately, we just feel like we're using very sound research based um, principles as well just, as natural cycles and saying, okay, these th- this is truth to me, and this is how we utilize that to improve our farms. And so, um, yeah. Well, it's, it's truth. It's truth backed by science and backed by the way that the biological principles work. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's not, like you said, flashy. <laughs> it's just evidence of, of over time that this stuff works or it's, 100% peer-reviewed back science-based research that we're applying to the landscape. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, you know, uh, I think it's, with all that, like, we try to keep it fairly simple from the standpoint of kind of the message and the way to implement. But you can get pretty quickly lost in the weeds, I think. And mm-hmm. on podcasts like this, so what I was saying was we've done over 300 guys and, and we are kind of to the point now where, you know, we've done 300 plus and had very few guests. We've had, um, ultimately not a whole lot of, of 
people jumping on and saying, do this one, and we've just taken it and gone with it. It's been more like, ah, we're going to need some time, get some stuff lined out, and get that one to you. But now, I think, you know, for us, we both have uh, somehow gotten even busier than we were uh, three years ago. And so now, um, I would gladly accept podcast ideas. And we we get them a, a fair amount, but we're for real. Like, guys, if there's a specific topic that you want us covering Send it our way at info at landandlegacy.tv or shoot us a message on Facebook or Instagram because, you know, we're not running short on content, but we want to make sure we're not running short on content that you guys feel is fresh and new and hasn't been covered. We can talk until Jesus comes back about the same stuff we talked about for three years, but for for us, we're wanting you guys to feel like you're getting content that is... uh, uh, site specific for you. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. If it if even if it's a little bit, we we can't break down like your property, like we 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 can't do that necessarily. But what we can do is is be very specific to answer some some questions about you and your region and how things are applicable to to maybe a certain situation that you find yourself in. We just yeah. want to be relevant to the listener because. If one person is dealing with this, I guarantee you someone else is, or they already have in the past, and then maybe they find out, hey, I did that wrong. I can go back and I can fix that, or I can address it in a different way. So, you know, we're we're open to <clears throat> ideas that are relevant <clears throat> and work and help people. We yes. just want to help. Yep, and I think um, that's just you know that's that's the name of the game. How do we help people yep. improve their farms? So. Um, yeah, and I think, uh, so this week, covering a lot of these questions, there was some kind of, uh, some ones that very uh, that were uh, sticking out to us, uh, or to me at least, when I read through, I was like, oh, yeah, that's a pretty common one, because we have talked about it a lot, and I'm sure there's guys going, oh, yeah, that, uh, you know, I want you to clarify that, because it is a big process, but we'll cover that in a second. Before we jump in, Matt, you got anything you want to share? talk about uh no okay um yeah so um i don't know we're just gonna we have instagram questions we have facebook questions i don't know we've got a bunch of them here i don't know if we'll get through all of them today or tonight um because it is another late night podcast and i'm sick of doing late night runs right now so um oh i i will say in the future the podcast i've had a lot of people questioning asking questions so I think I'm going to have to devote one, Matt, to the cattle um, and how mm-hmm. we're utilizing because I've had a lot of questions of guys going, just how are you doing that and how is that going to help you? And Because sure. I've been I've been really interested in, in that idea. And so hopefully, mm-hmm. shoot, who knows. But anyway, uh, let's go. So we've got a guy asking, um, I'm afraid he the first one that pops up for me, I think he probably asked another question and it's lost somewhere in all the other questions because he makes it sound like it was a two-parter. And I do not see his two-part question there. So I'm just going to say another vote for your thought process and species selection when thinning trees. I know you have covered it in the past, but this constantly crosses my mind when thinning my woods. Um, yeah. And I think uh, a couple questions down while performing FSI or TSI, so forest stand improvement, timber stand improvement. Before we go into any more, I'll say the difference is timber stand improvement, you're managing for timber. 
forest stand improvement, you're managing for um, a healthier forest. So we say FSI when it's like, then we're not even thinking timber harvest here. We say TSI when we're thinking timber harvest in the future. Um, So what's your breakdown of tree species? Is it example 40% oak, 15% hickory, 25% soft mass and shrubs, 10% native uh, conifers, 10% other for overall habitat management? And just right there, I think one thing I want to say, Matt, is uh, when you get into percentages and numbers in land management, I automatically am going, this is not a direction we should go. Um, Yes. It's like even as far as how much of my acreage should I have in food plot? How much of my my food plot acres should be in clover or perennial legumes? Um, How much of my farm should be cover? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any of that. Because each property is different. And just because you don't meet the criteria doesn't mean that you're lacking um, or that you're insufficient. So don't I try to avoid a time when you're saying I need this amount or X amount or the X amount because once again I could answer all of these questions probably with two words and say it depends. Um, well, and this is a this is the perfect case for that. But I think we answer the question this one particularly in. Obviously, we, we need more information from a standpoint of um, what are you managing that timber stand for? Yeah. Like what species in particular are you managing it intentionally for? And then that will give you more uh, of a rough idea of, I don't, I'm not going to say the percentages, but maybe a more rough breakdown of what you need. Like, for instance, if I'm going to have be managing for turkeys – I'm going to be favoring some soft mass trees and I might not cut them for a browsing standpoint because turkeys aren't going to be browsing them like that, like a dogwood or a sassafras. I'm going to go ahead and let those things continue to be in the mid story. Um, if I'm managing for turkeys, so there's soft mass and then I'm going to be favoring and releasing some hard mass trees such as red oaks, White oaks for could even be beach production if you're in eastern and, and, United and, yeah sure and and beach um, but but if I'm going to manage that same uh, stand for deer I'm going to do it completely differently I'm going to be cutting and and not treating some of those stumps and allowing them to be woody brows in the timber because some of those are some highly desirable species um, yep. from a woody brow standpoint so you you know there's not like a general wildlife for stand improvement practice that says, okay, this is sufficient for all the species. It, 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 you just can't, you can't, you have to be more specific in yeah. your objective. And it would be going to go cut. North slope, east slope, west slope, south slope. All that comes into play. Your region um, and then your goals of going, is this for deer? Is this for turkeys? Is this for whatever else now Mm -hmm. i will humor them and say okay let's just pretend let's just throw a scenario out to give you guys kind of an idea or a a rough way of going into it that could probably be pretty uh successful for you and say that you know let's let's rule out that this this block of timber is not really for bedding i'm not i don't have the goal of saying I have defined bedding here, and it's not the area that's like, I've got a food plot here. These are like those acres that's not defined bedding, not food plot, but it makes up the majority of the timber. 
and because yeah. um, we all have them. So good transitional yeah. areas that are probably more on the side of closed canopy forests. So what is my goals? And I would say for me personally, if there's a way to make money, I'm going to try to do that. So I'm managing for a potential timber harvest. It may be 15 years from now, but I'm still headed in that way. If I can't think about it now, then it's going to be more years out if I'm not even managing for that 15 year period. So I'm trying to manage for a potential timber harvest. I'm also trying to create a healthy and diverse forest, and I'm also trying to improve wildlife habitat. And I think one of the things that I kind of lean on in just doing general TSI or FSI would be simple crop tree release treatment, where I just identify the healthiest trees that are taller and have the biggest crown, and I try to release the competition around them. And it could be an elm, it could be uh, an oak, it could be a maple, but generally, or it could even be a hickory. Um, I'm going to try to go more on the hard mass as well as the timber ones. So here in the Ozarks or in a lot of the Midwest, I can I can kind of get two birds with one stone. I can I can have oaks that are releasing hard mass that are also potential timber harvest down the road. And so I can thin out um, a lot of the the more suppressed trees or the competitive trees or uh, we call them weed trees and release those crop trees. Um, and just by doing that, increase the sunlight, the canopy coming through the sunlight by 30%. Try to run a prescribed fire through there. Even if you don't, the sunlight's the key, and you're going to have a huge amount of growth come back. Um, well, if you just did that, you're headed in, in, a, in a much better uh, direction than just the idle, I don't know what to do, I'm scared to cut. For me, in very simple terms when it comes to TSI or FSI, I look at it like this. Is this tree healthy or unhealthy? Is it suppressed or is it flourishing? If you just does roll out roll out species, just try to look at it. How do we know it's suppressed? Does it have a whole bunch of lower limbs? Does it have holes in it? Does it look crooked and really kind of stunted? Um, or does is, it have room to grow? Does it have even if we were to give this thing the chance to grow another twenty years? Is it going to grow up twenty foot and run into a bigger tree that's still there? That's a suppressed tree. Um, it, it, white oak, not all white oaks are great. Not all bur oaks are great. Not all walnuts are great. There's a lot of them that are very unhealthy that um, the the species would do better if that individual was removed. And so um, I think just learn to identify a healthy tree versus an unhealthy tree or a suppressed tree and a flourishing tree. And then step into the species. But ultimately, it comes back to, I'm just trying to create healthy trees. And I, you, you kind of got there, but my, the, the route I would have taken to explain that is my initial goal for if I'm just going to have a transitional area in most situations, and I'm trying to achieve quality wildlife cover with some forage in the understory, um, and, and a mixture of sunlight coming through and probably an age difference in some trees and, and some underbrush, maybe some woodland shrubs. I'm, I'm shooting for 30% canopy opening. And, and so that's, that's the exact same number that I'm, I'm going to go for because you don't necessarily have to rely solely on which species there are because in most woodlots that we find, you can easily go through and find 30% of the can of the canopy is, is just unhealthy. So just cut the unhealthy crap. And the rest will, will take off and flourish. And, and 
sunlight will come in and what trees do remain will be better, grow faster and have more less competition, more more resources allocated to them as individuals. That's but right. shoot for that 30% and then you can really, really, after you've removed the unhealthy aspects of the forest, begin to really pick and, and decide species-wise what happens and, and, and which course you want to take if you're moving further deeper than a 30% reduction. In some instances, it needs to be way more than that well yeah i was thinking if you're in kind of in in rolling topography and it's a west slope or a south slope you could shoot for 40 or 50 percent open canopy easy sure so um yeah and at the at this rate matt we're going to stick to facebook questions because we're going to have to do instagram on a on a different on a different podcast so uh, so the next question we have is kind of falls right in line i'm managing a property with a lot of red oaks and white oaks i find myself wanting to cut down just about every other tree that isn't an oak or every tree that isn't an oak i know you guys support cutting down weed trees but at the same time you advocate for diversity how do you determine how much cutting of non-oak trees or too much of or too little and how do you plan to and i do plan on having a timber harvest in the near future to help remove some of the wheat uh, poor performing oaks this summer will be my third straight year doing an acorn survey to help plan for said harvest. So falling right in line with what we just said, um, when we're looking at how do you manage for a healthy forest, but still targeting, um, still targeting game species, if you will, or wildlife. So you're trying to balance habitat management with timber harvest and healthy forest. Um, and one of the fairly common terms that I use and that you'll see in government contracts and just kind of a common terminology is crop tree release like I mentioned earlier and the first thing we need to know about and one of the things I kind of liked in the definition of native versus non-native is when we're talking about native species if we don't understand it or you know it's hard to call a native species and frankly we shouldn't call a native species an invasive weed or an invasive plant because just because we don't understand its purpose or its role on this region or in this landscape doesn't mean it doesn't have a benefit. So even American elm or um, cherry or uh, maple, I'm trying to think of other some of, some of the other, hackberry, um, just because we don't see it as a acorn producer doesn't mean it can't be a crop tree, doesn't mean it can't be involved in the forest or have a role in the forest. Um, so we first must identify that you know, if it's a native tree, it has a place. Ultimately, it goes back to that, is it healthy or unhealthy? And um, so in, in this term or in this question, um, I think I see, Matt, I would be curious, but I see a lot yep. of times where people put too much value on oak trees. And <laughs> the very tree that they're trying to promote is being suppressed by the very species that they're trying to save, if that oh, makes absolutely. sense. They're I, trying uh, to release their oaks, but they're suppressing them because of their other oaks. I, I see, I see the oh gosh, the glorification of of the oak tree um, so much, and and let's not let's not not address the fact that yes, they are valuable. They have a lot of value. They should be present on a property, but we shouldn't devalue at the same time other trees. Um, within a forest, like you mentioned, all the other ones, they all have this role, but 
so many times we see people thinning to only have oaks and then they have this oak dominated forest stand but it's still overstocked yeah and and you just have now now you've created this situation where you have an overstocked overpopulated forest of very few species diversity and you're setting yourself up for the potential of an, a very detrimental um, opportunity if, let's say, a pest comes in, gypsy moth comes through and just wipes out your oaks. Well, there's an entire forest. Oak wilt, another common Oak one wilt, that we're seeing yeah. more and more. For sure. So so that's where you need to be careful and, and still retain this healthy balance of other species woven into um, the forest. And, and again, if you find yourself just trying to favor those oaks, you can really, in most, in most cases, go back and say, wow, I, I really should have kept that elm that I cut down because I had three oaks sitting right here next to each other growing in close proximity. I yeah. didn't need to cut that one elm that was kind of off to the side. Yeah. I, I don't see a lot of people that are going to cut too much, like he asked in this question, but I will mm-hmm. share a quick story that we had a pretty wicked um, storm come through last weekend that if you follow our social media pages much, you've seen there's, I can post another one. You'll probably see it, but or recognize it, but it's an area that we thinned, we timber harvested, then we thinned, we burned it twice. And it's just scattered trees with beautiful wildflowers and plants, herbaceous plants growing underneath it. Well, a lot of, I don't know when I say a lot, I bet you it's over 30, 40 trees just driving down. I don't know how many it is total that were left standing that during that storm broke off and fell over. And a lot of them were hollow or had weak spots. And it's like, just because the tree is standing and looks healthy doesn't mean it is on the inside. And I think that's a right in line with an overstocked forest creates unhealthy trees. And even if you do give them nutrients and more sunlight to perform you can't remove the fact that a large part of their early on in life they were suppressed so they're now hollow or damaged so a lot of them snap like toothpicks about 10 anywhere from four to 10 foot off the ground and it's just like they're hollow and Mm -hmm. so you know that's just the problem when you have unhealthy forest and then you try to create a healthy just plan on losing several more even after the harvest even after the thinning because you know, the they were junky, unhealthy, and doesn't mean that you can make them healthy really, really quickly. So Yeah, for sure. Anyway, uh, next question. How do you go about managing 140 acres in north-central Minnesota for all wildlife? It's compressed of mainly uh, alder bush and, or alder brush and patches of mainly aspen-dominated woods. Um, another guy chimed in and said, I would also like to add when using fire is often not an option due to Minnesota Department of Natural Resource Restrictions. So, uh, you know, I was just recently in Minnesota and as I talking to those guys, uh, fire is not a huge part of your, uh, management practices here. Um, a lot of wet ground, a lot of, a lot of, uh, ground that's not real conducive for prescribed fire. Um, a lot of swampy, boggy type land. Um, you know, some uplands in the woods and like oak hickory forest. Yeah, sure, you could probably burn in there. But that, in a lot of places in Minnesota that I went through, that wasn't a huge part of the, that was a smaller percentage. So, 
um, ultimately, the uh, name of the game in northern in northern uh, United States, in my opinion, is lowering stress levels during that winter and um, early spring. And so, name of the game: woody browse, thermal cover. How much food can you get above the snow? That's not going to get over browsed or over consumed in the fall months like corn or standing soybeans might. And then also how to keep the snow off of them or give them areas to get out of it. So we recommend a lot of, you know, small patches of thermal cover as well as areas with lots and lots of woody browse. So it could be planting shrubs that are more uh, conducive to great browse, to providing great browse like red oaks, your dogwood, nannyberry, um, Trying to think of some of the others that nine I've, bark nine barks Black yeah choke cherry yeah choke cherry is another really popular one up there Great um and then uh, and so all those in close proximity to these thermal pockets and I think you can do and then overall I mean like we said last week I believe that what is the aspen in the north is a sweet gum in the south like that's just a quick growing tree. But in the northern woods, you can make money off of it. In the south, you just curse it. So, uh, and, and it's got great regeneration. That's attractive. For not only deer, but grouse as R- well. Grouse. Um, yep. And so, you know, uh, I think timber harvesting in the north is a must, um, whether it be just you with a chainsaw or getting a logging company in there, but making sure that you have some sort of rotation happening where there's some timber disturbance happening on, on, on a more regular basis. Uh, because you can do that with aspen trees a lot quicker than you could with oaks. Mm-hmm. So um, hopefully that, that will help somebody. Uh, next question, uh, mostly ag land with 150-yard wide strips of creek bottom. Red squares are. So he posted a picture and is, like, looking for ideas on how to manage that. And, you know, when it comes to those creek bottoms, it looks, you know, dropped me off in North Dakota on a property I worked two weeks ago, and it looks very similar. Lots and lots of crop, very very little ground to do much with. What do you do? Well, name of the game, I mean, you got to have adequate cover first and foremost. Doesn't matter. We could go out there and carve out in this picture this guy shared. You could take the whole northwest corner and turn it into crop and go, okay, we got all the food, but if the cover's not close by, they're going to be nocturnal. So our mindset is bring the cover close and then we'll deal with food later. So with it being crop, a couple ideas would be how do we incorporate some nice dense cover along that creek and how do we expand on that that's not really taken away from the crop production. So I would be looking into some kind of CRP, CP38 riparian border to try to expand that where we can still make an annual payment, um, still make some money, but give us a few more acres devoted to wildlife. Look at trying to, I mean, he didn't say anything about access, so I'd be trying to find my access points and then put bedding somewhere in between those. And then, how, how about edge feathering? Is you could enough? do edge feathering, and really, ultimately, the, the in my head is trying to densen up that that whole creek bottom. So when the deer is passing through from the neighbor, he hits that and they slow way down. It's almost like a bird dog who's running out across the prairie, across the grazed field. He's not even thinking birds. And all of a sudden he gets it down and he gets in those little areas and you're like, oh, he's birdie. You want a, a buck who's traveling November 5th to be running across a crop fields or wide open prairie and then he hits your place and it's like, oh, he's getting doughy. He's really having to weave and take his time through there to find those receptive does. And so the more time you can spend on your place, 
the more uh, the better chance you have at harvesting them. Matt, and like... I would consider adding food, just broadcasting sixty days ahead of a frost. Yeah. Add food in the right areas. Now that you know access, you know where some bedding might be. Put food in the appropriate place that you can access, and just have that element on that property as well. You have open acres, yeah. and if it works out, capture that sunlight with some good food, and keep keep deer coming on a routine basis to yeah. to a known food source and keep it secure too. And for our listeners, when Matt's talking about broadcasting, he's talking about a cover crop type method rather than a food yeah. plot type method. So taking right, some right, of those right. crop acres and broadcasting and using cover crops instead of same blends, same stuff, but mm-hmm. also uh, just in a... We just call it differently yeah. in an ag field. Yeah. Um, oh, let's see. Next up, uh, one guy, just general comment. would love to hear us talk about dormant season burns and growing season burns. Wants us to talk with uh, another guy we uh, see a lot on social media and talk with a lot because we have like minds and it comes to land management. But that I don't really see a question, but talking about grazing benefits, and so that's all coming. But another one, always enjoy your life as a habitat manager podcast. Perhaps you could do one in mid to late summer, habitat projects other than food plots to benefit the upcoming deer season. Oh, man. Um, what are some things we're doing over the next month and a half that are not food plots that are for deer? Uh, one of the big late season or late summer ones would be um, getting re- growing season burns if it gets uh, mm-hmm. if it gets dry enough. Uh, although it feels a little, I feel a little stupid to be honest with you. Sometimes when you're burning some areas growing season right before deer season because it it can take a little bit for it to grow back and it may not even grow back great that first three months and you're like we're going into deer season with nothing naked (laughs) naked yeah it depends on that on that late summer rains i mean if it gets hot and 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 the ground is dry and you're burning on top of that man those plants don't respond extremely rapidly but if you have rains that come in afterwards you can have a great response it's a little bit of a um unknown factor if you're banking on that going into fall as that as that strategy it's not bad you just got to have the rain mm-hmm. yeah so growing season burns um this would be a time where you know we don't talk about it a lot because we don't really u- utilize it a lot but if you're using girdling spray or hack and squirt to kill mm-hmm. some of your trees late summer is a good time to do that chad and i've talked about doing that on the family farm in a couple of spots where it's it's a high stem count, low growing, you know, ten foot tall, shrubby like oaks, blackjack oak in particular. And we're like, we could just go in there and hack and squirt or girdle and spray those instead of having to cut them and figure out what to do with them. Um, right. And throw in a few hinge cuts and have a pretty good bedding area. So it's a good time of the year to do that. I know the guy that asked the questions got some of those areas, so it'd be a good hack and squirt, uh, kill some honey locusts and hedge trees in your part of Illinois. Other. Other invasive species treatment too is uh, senescing. Ceresis is good. T- yeah. Good time to kill Ceresis lespedeza. Um, and another another thing too that I would be considering is is doing some of your like if you need to mow mow trails, it's better late in the summer now that most everything has hatched. It's up and out. Fawns can get away. If you need to yep. prep some trails for um, hunting season access. 
steering some deer in and out of food plots or from a bedding into timber, whatever, um, that's a good time frame. Well, another part of that on the roads in particular is I like to try to shape your roads in late summer as you're getting ready to go into fall when you may have a lot more road activity. So shaping the roads, I mean using a box blade or a blade to kind of put them back in place. If you've got little low spots, put rock in them, put gravel in them to where right. the activity through the fall kind of shapes and presses that road into shape, then going into winter and then the next spring with that freezing and thawing, rather than being in horrible shape and then turning into a rock over the winter um, yeah. Yeah. that's already in horrible shape. So, um, yeah. Um, oh, goodness. What else? I, I think that pretty well covers his question. But how do you convert a current ag field to an old field? What are the pitfalls to avoid? Oof, one of the big things is understanding the weeds that are in that area. So converting ag fields, like heavily herbicided ag fields to old field is going to be tricky. Yeah, because, you know, I think of, like, what are you going to see? You're probably going to see a lot of, if you're down south, you may see a lot of pigweed. If you're in Mm -hmm. the Midwest, you may see a lot of mare's tail or a lot of, uh, What's that other one I'm looking for? Uh, it just totally slipped my mind. Water hemp. Water hemp. And you're going to be like, boy, this is terrible. And it's going to be like that for several years. This yeah. is where we honestly recommend a lot more of the planting of native blends than we do waiting on nature to fill fill it back in. Because taking an ag field like crop, corn, soybean rotation that's been in that for 20, 30 years and expecting all these beautiful natives to come popping up probably is not happening it's just been it's it's just been depleted yeah like it's just what what good from that seed bank um i mean you're you're hoping stuff blows in stuff is carried in from other animals um and that's in and among all of the if you have those um herbicide resistant weeds that's in and among those and, and yeah those are obviously going to be so much more prevalent in the first few years it's just a yeah. it's a very long game i think you're um, better off to convert it by utilizing what what is occurred to make it really unsuccessful old fields which is the heavy herbicide use which is exactly what we would like when we're prepping for a diverse prairie planting and so we have a lot of those weeds under control um, so we could just harvest the crops in the fall, turn around and plant a, a native prairie mix in the winter um, or early spring, mow it a couple of times the next growing season, and then by year two, three, you're off to the races. Um, yeah. That's that's really the ultimate. So the pitfalls to avoid is really just avoid the uh, expecting expecting nature just to blow back after years of herbicide use. Yeah. Um, next one, I would like to hear your opinion on what level of importance we should be putting on placing on mass producing trees. I know many people buy property that has been hard timbered or clear cut in recent past to save money and, uh, may want many, uh, uh, would be considered junk timber on my property. There are very all caps. So let's emphasize very few oaks. So I worry that even with TSI and cutting, I won't have much oak regeneration, does this mean I need to start planting mass-producing trees? Will more oaks appear from the seed bank? Is there a ceiling for my property without mass production? Oh, man. Um, you know, what, I, what I would say that 
to address that, if you have very, very, very few oaks, can you plant some? Sure. But what I would first say is, can you start, can you begin doing some practices that's going to help encourage some um, oak regeneration so that they begin that process naturally across your landscape? If so, burning, yeah, that would be wonderful. I would start that. But the other thing that I would look at is, I know if I have very few oak trees, I know when those are going to be most attractive on a given property. And if my neighborhood, if neighboring properties have oaks, I want to then say, okay, if I have very few, but I still want to hold deer during that time frame, what can I offer other food source wise during that window to try and compete directly with the fact that I know temporarily I don't have very many oaks. So I'd be looking at things like, perennial clover stands or alfalfa um, that are going to be very highly attractive during that September, early October timeframe when acorns will be falling that I'm like, okay, I might not have acorns, but I do have this in the time, in the time being. I may look yeah. at it like that as well. Yeah. You know, the, the, so many times seems like over 70% of the time you go to a property and we just drive around the neighborhood and you can look and say, well, as long as we have dense cover, we can compete. And even if it's small yeah, acreage, yeah. we can compete. So most people don't have dense enough cover, uh, especially not scattered around the property. So, yeah, uh, you know, and even we've we've found a few mass-producing trees that produce much quicker than said take a white oak acorn and sink it in the ground and expect it to be dropping acorns in five years. But even right. then, it's a, you know, eight, ten-year commitment just to start really seeing uh, decent amounts of uh, of acorns but being produced. I I guess to answer his question really directly is you don't have to have oak trees to be successful. No, no, not at all. Uh, and I think that you know he he he's not handcuffed or handicapped with the uh, with the idea that the oak is sacred because we can rule that out now. He can treat yeah. the few he has sacred, but so many guys don't cut timber enough because they're, they don't want to hurt oaks or they don't want to cut exactly. any oaks and, and they end up handcuffing themselves. themselves and hurting the oaks because they don't want to cut oaks. Yep. Yeah. I see it so often. Um, oaks are disturbance driven trees. Yeah. Th- cut them, burn them, repeat. Um, yep. Managing river bottom hardwoods in the southeast for deer and turkeys. Oh, that's a, you know, river bottom is such a vague, I mean, let me just say it depends. Um, yeah, river bottom hardwoods and, and it's like, how often is the flood? Uh, how long is it staying underwater? Um, you know, uh, I'm assuming it's not swamp or he would have said swampy hardwoods. Um, so I'm just going to say, you know, once again, you're managing for a healthy river bottom hardwoods so there's probably junk weed trees and there's probably really good crop trees so overall i mean big scale we're going to thin out the weed trees and promote the crop trees but then at the same time find a few spots where hey you know this little half acre is nothing but sweet gums i'm cutting it all down all of a sudden i got a bedding thicket um, and if it's flooded more frequently, I hinge cut a majority of those because I don't want all my cover to float away in the next flood. Um, and then overall you're managing for invasive species removal. Since you are in the Southeast, you probably have a lot of them. So 
Um, Chinese privet is commonly found in flooded areas, wet areas, creek bottoms in the southeast. So do your due diligence on those. That's a pretty loaded question, but that's a 30,000-foot view for me. Yeah, and I would say on this one, know your tree species because there's there's a lot of trees in the river bottom system that may not have a mass-producing component to it, but it's still very necessary to be a part of that floodplain creek system because it has other roles that it does so make sure you're educated on that before you start cutting thinking that well it doesn't have value it it really most likely does have value to that to that system itself ecologically yeah 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 so um next question uh after tsi planted some conifer trees in the timber i'm also wanting to do prescribed fire but i don't want to waste the money on burning those planted trees uh oh, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, do, 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 do. I don't know where he's at. Um, that one. That one's extremely tough, and and one of those situations where Indiana, um, Indiana, Indiana. Okay. I don't know what part Crawford Crawfordsville, Indiana. So wherever that's at, um, <sighs> and so. You know, that's the thing. You know, if you have trees that you're not trying to harm, you can go in and blow a, take a backpack blower and just blow around them. And then as you get the fire backing off the the black line, light, light around your blown out line around those uh, conifer trees and, and you'll be fine. Um, yeah. Just don't scream a head fire through there. And, and I think, and that's what I would do. Just I, would, take, I think blowing around them would be sufficient. Yeah, blowing around them would be just fine. And then you, you shouldn't be setting head fires anyway, so... There you go. Let's see here. Um, kind of lost my space because I went and followed and tried to figure out where he was at in the world. Your recommendation on pasture mixes for cattle that wildlife would benefit from as well, assuming cattle is rotationally grazed with portable electric fence. Woo! This is this like is something I'm really working on hardcore right now because we're getting ready to plant a pasture mix this fall or next spring as we're kind of converting one of our big bottom fields to more high quality pasture so um and this is something it'll be more content coming but really the idea is diversity is king once again how do we find stuff that's beneficial to cows it's also beneficial to quail or quail wildlife especially deer and that's very, that's pretty simple some of the best farms we've worked the uh, the pastures have a mix of orchard grass, fescue, timothy, and you're like, well, that's it. That's where most guys stop. And ultimately, yep. you add in alfalfa. You add that, in that was the cattle benefit right there directly. Yeah, yeah, and the, the, and at the, the same time though, that you know the cattle they need grass. When you could add in alfalfa, red clover, oh, white yeah. clover, um, trefoil, plantains, trefoil. <laughs> Uh, and plantains is just the toe jerkers uh, that mm-hmm. most people know. Um, chicory, chicory is another big one. Um, and then you can even mix in some warm and cool season ones uh, like eastern gamma grass or yep. Alamo switchgrass into some of that to where you get a more cover structure uh, bunch grass type uh, mixed in there. So, um, you know, that's what for me – you know, a straight monoculture of fescue um, can be a little bit uh, of a problem with allopathic tendencies and trying to establish some of these other uh, diversity. But if you find weak spots or times when it's suppressed and you plant at that time, you can kind of 
pry open that door and start introducing diversity like clovers and alfalfa, which are some of our favorites, which obviously you don't have to talk very long and talk to many people to realize that most wildlife guys love those two types. Mm-hmm. But you got to incorporate the broadleaf into that system. Yeah. Got and to. it's better for the cattle anyway. So, sure um, but if I was going to favor a grass on, on most that most people are familiar with, I'd, I'd go heavier on an orchard grass situation opposed to a, a fescue dominated well, if we're looking to just completely seed. That's what, you know, that's what probably the base of our, of our pasture mix is going to mm-hmm. be orchard grass. So, uh, another guy says agree was the river bottom question of the Southeast. Maybe more specifically, what would your approach be to TSI FSI practices in heavily timbered lowland areas prone to flooding large Oof. portions of the property? Southeast Alabama are closed canopy Tupelo stands um, with other hardwoods mixed in. I know generally speaking, closed canopy equals little to no wildlife benefit, but do timber and forest management approaches change when taking periodic flooding as a main disturbance into account? Um, yeah. Areas that see sun have some scattered alders, buttonbush, birch, and willow. So is the answer of the simple as just getting more sunlight to the forest floor i think he solved yep. his he pretty well solved his uh his answered his own questions but yeah sunlight is king guys like it's not just sunlight that's producing trees or sunlight that think of it just is it's energy and if that energy is penetrated through and was reaching the forest floor then there's energy that can be transferred into plants that can be transferred into a deer. But if there's no sunlight or energy reaching, or very little, I should say, because it's like no is is a hard no sunlight, but if there's very little sunlight or energy, same thing, reaching the forest floor, then there's very little energy or sunlight that's able to be transferred into the deer to produce a healthier bigger rack, uh, bigger set of antlers, like just overall a healthier deer. So we're looking for more sunlight. But when it's prone to flooding, if you're trying to increase structure for cover, you can do it a couple ways, but hinge cutting so it's still staying connected to the trunk so it doesn't float away. Or like he's got button bush and willow. I'm just in birch. I'm just going, well, I better hope beavers come in too because they can be my little chainsaw crew that I don't have to hire or pay to do anything. And and make sure that they're too, you know, acknowledging the fact that, hey, you cannot control at all the disturbance of flooding. So you don't know, you cannot say how long that water stays on that site, when the water leaves, how deep it's going to be. So sometimes, some growing seasons, you may have an understory in that in that bottom land that is very very green um and it's rich vibrant in and around especially those sunny areas um but if that water hangs on long into the spring and summer and then it finally leaves you may not get much regeneration or you might get a completely different suite of species that come back it's a little bit like you're just essentially at the mercy um of that flooding that movement of water Compared to upland sites, upland sites, they green up pretty much same time every single year. That's just yeah. what they do. But that water is a whole nother variable thrown into the mix. So some of that, yeah, you're going to go in and add sunlight to some areas, um, but there's still another component of water and how long it stays on that site that may dictate plant communities as well. Yeah, 
Uh, I'm going to skip a question to come back because this one falls in line, but um, I haven't heard this address yet. I live in New York, a no-fire state. How do you get the same results of prescribed fire, and what methods would you use? You don't, um, nope. but you can get I'm close. Sorry. Yeah, you you don't get the same results if you're doing if you if you're managing a, a woodland, let's just say, so a a forest has got you know anywhere from sixty to eighty percent canopy and another twenty to forty percent open canopy. So there's a lot of herbaceous stuff growing. If you're managing a woodland in New York and you jump across the line into you know let's say PA where you're able to use and it's just starting to be able to use prescribed fire in Pennsylvania, but um, and so. You're managing a woodland, same species, no fire, and a woodland, same species, with fire. You're going to see differences. Now, you can ultimately have pretty good response because you need sun's energy. So if you're looking for that herbaceous layer in a forest that can't be burned, you better be prepared to open up that canopy enough to get a lot of sunlight in and so you're probably going to have to cut a little bit more aggressive to get that sunlight so you can get that plant response. Um, that's and then that's the to goal. And then you're going come back sooner with more mechanical work to reset it opposed to yep. their interval of fire. You just have to keep mechanically doing that. And it could be cutting back the sprouts and, and keeping them down within four foot so they're benefiting the deer. Mm-hmm. Or it could be spraying out the invasives and allowing the natives to keep growing. So... Um, you know, fire is great, but it's not end all be all. But if it call up your, yeah, I don't know if it's a, if it's going to be a lost cause in New York, but, um, some States are starting to open up more and, and have fire, um, able to use. Obnoxiously share education. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Next up, uh, so sticking with invasives, when fighting invasives such as bush honeysuckle, autumn olive, multiflora rose, it's best to slowly take out over time throughout the property, like 20% or so a year, or eradicate all at once. My concern is, though these plants are invasive and need gone, they do offer cover. Uh, Afraid if I wipe out all at once, I would leave so much of an open area and little cover. If I replace with native and successional growth throughout a period of time, I'll always have cover, but risk constantly fighting the invasives so I c- they keep going to seed. Already a constant battle trying to keep it held back in certain areas. So um, we get this one a lot. I'm not sure why, but um, I, it's just not in my blood. If I have the means, if I have the energy, yeah, if sure. I've got the fuel and it's standing in front of me, I'm cutting it, and I don't care. Hold me back if you don't want me to cut it. So I'm a guy that says that if I got the energy and the time, we're eradicating all at once. Now, here's where you can get into um, still not losing all your cover and also using that as a huge benefit. Um, using what is a terrible thing that I can't stand because it's a non-native invasive. Let's just say I go and I have an old field that's chocked full of autumn olive. I go out there and I cut it down with a chainsaw or a skid steer loppers or pruners and I treat the stump so it's not growing back. I take some plugs of red osier dogwood, nanny bear, choke cherry, any of these native species from my area, and I send those plugs right into that treetop, utilizing it as a as like a cage, a, an exclusion cage, so it can be protected from deer browse pressure 
and grow out of that. And so once finally when that autumn olive or bush honeysuckle breaks down, I have a shrub that's growing out that can now withstand browse pressure. Um, and if you're just cutting them down, you're not losing that cover as no. drastic as you go in with a mulching head and you just grind it all up. So if you got the time, you got the means, just cut the son of a gun down and be done with it because um, it's, it's a temporary it, void, if anything, if you if you lose some cover, but you're you're decreasing or terminating the seed source. That's yeah. that's that's reducing the amount of work that you have to do. You've got to like do it, get it yeah. all done, and move on from that project. Uh, 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 yeah, I mean, do you remove cancer cells a little at a time, or do time. you just get in there and get rid of them? Get them gone. Get them gone. Get it. I mean. I don't know about you, but when you get a whole bunch of ticks on you, Matt, do you remove them a I little like, at a I, time, or do you? I'm like, get these you, blood suckers I, off of me. I leave a couple for the morning just because I like picking them. Yeah, <laughs> I like to see how big they get before they fall yeah, off on their own. Yeah. Oh, how much blood did you take from me to that? Last yeah, time? and that's kind of what I look at invasive species a lot like having ticks on flesh. It's just a parasite. Yeah. It's just like, God, get it off of me. Mm-hmm. Um. What are some of your favorite trees or shrubs to add to the property for food or cover? Oh, man. I don't know. Tune into podcast one through 300 and we'll tell you. Um, yeah. What are some of your There's favorite trees? List. You know, my favorite tree is a bur oak. My favorite shrub is probably, uh, depending on where we're at, American plum or American beautyberry um, or red osier, uh, dogwood. And I kind of gave you three regions right there. It could be sumac, even smooth sumac. Um, yeah, I'd, 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 second, I'd, I'd second all that. I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't know what you know. If so it's many, lowland, I love so willows. Good, yeah, I mean, so, if it's a native, just bush. pick, just pick. Yep. I don't care. Pick one that's native, and we'll probably yep. find a benefit to it. Um, but those are uh, those are our favorites. I'm not even sure where he's out of. But best practices for managing old fields in northern Michigan, restoring them to early successional growth. Uh, northern Michigan. Let's fight off the reeds canary. Um, let's fight off the smooth brome. Let's get rid of those. And then, um, you know, I haven't seen a lot of cerecelespides up in those areas. So try to promote more grass, uh, from the standpoint of like switchgrass, little blue stem, uh, prairie cordgrass, and then also really try to incorporate forbs. So, um, you know, and it could be even buying common ragweed, because uh, I have seen it being not very abundant in those areas. So try to incorporate common ragweed, some of these other really beneficial plants. Um, brambles, don't forget about brambles, especially in the northern climate. Greenbrier, blackberry. Blackberry is a big one. Um, in, even raspberry. Bush. Yeah, trying to get some of those that are going to provide food. And then control the invasives, just like I mentioned earlier, autumn olive, cut it over and stick some red osier in the treetop. Um, so it's protected for a few years. Uh, and then ultimately just keep the disturbance happening. Burn it. Yeah. Disc it. Do something to disturb it so it doesn't turn into a monoculture of switchgrass, monoculture of, auto, of autumn olive, monoculture of smooth brome, monoculture reeds canary. I mean, I just keep a disturbance happening. And, and, and I don't want to like oversimplify it, but sometimes... You have to oversimplify it to get people encouraged and enthusiastic to realize that 
I don't need you to do anything complicated at the start. I just need you active on that site. When I say active, I need you disturbing it. So yep. here, here are three ways to disturb it. Pick one, and let's watch what happens. And then yep. in a year, two years from now, we're going to pick another one. Yep. And guess what? There's your old field. Early season hunting tactics, question mark. Oh, find a find a bedding. So it's probably going to be north slope or east slope or a cool area and a food that's close by. That's really, in simple terms, to me, my hunting strategy doesn't change a lot unless it's... I must say, that's hunt. about as simple as you get. <laughs> yeah, I mean, early season. Find the buck I want, figure out where he's bedded during those hot during those hot days, and then... Not to hunt the bed. Yep, find, right. a, find a food or transition area in between mm-hmm. that bed to the food plot or the, the acorn trees, whatever. Just get in there close to the bedroom because he's not moving far during daylight with a winter coat on. That's it. So, uh, yeah, that's that's section number one. We got next week. I guess we got to do Instagram questions. But goodness, that was a lot there. Uh, hopefully, was, it helps some guys out. Um, and uh, guys, ideas for podcast topics. We'd love to hear them. Matt, got Appreciate anything you want to add before we? Guys. I'm I'm just uh, getting excited for late July and into August. We've got a lot of things happening, honestly, between the two farms. Um, that's really kind of cranking up. Food plots are coming very soon. Is there is there an update, Adam, on on that on the website or anything like that? I'm uh, supposed to have the fall food plots ready this week, hopefully. Okay. So I'm going to add them to the store. Uh, this week and so you guys can go ahead and start making your orders for the um, Stratton uh, blends legacy blends all those also guys remember it's a two-step process you order the seed and then it's not getting shipped until you pay the shipping invoice and if you don't like the shipping invoice we can refund you completely but it's pay for the seed then we gather a shipping quote with Stratton they go to a third party for shipping delivery they get a quote, we send it to you, you pay that, and then it all starts. So And explain the, check your emails. the free shipping option is not really a free shipping option. Yeah, when it says free shipping, that's because our platform that we use, Shopify, doesn't allow us to have an option that we need to make this happen. So, um, so it's not really an option. <laughs> it's not really an option. Click the free shipping that then says, if you're ordering seed, expect a shipping invoice in your email. So anyway, guys, uh, appreciate it. And fall food plots will be kicking real soon. I know guys are already in the northern climate. Shoot, it's middle of July, so they better be kicking it. So Mm -hmm. anyway, guys, appreciate you. We'll catch you next week. We'll see you.